things that have mattered to me and have, in my experience, been really beneficial for creating a positive environment that makes people happy to work or live in a certain place really hinge around um, education, opportunity, and like passion. The running joke is you see bad habits in college kids or you see you know, issues and it's like, well, how do we fix this? Or how do we get America's children to read more? And it's like, I should have started when they were three or four. I am biased in that I think, especially in America, we can try to have our our youth think more mathematically, more data-driven decision-making. I know that gets thrown around in business a lot, but you know, it's tough when you have, and especially when you see adults that are used to reacting to things emotionally rather than really thinking through, okay, how and why am I coming to this decision? People that have mastered that skill, that latter skill, really differentiate in the world and I think really cause positive change and push things that um, can really help equalize in the space and that's been important to me. I'm Kimberly Drew and you're listening to Your Attention Please, a Hulu podcast with iHeartRadio. Today, I'm sitting down with Nicole LaPointe Jameson. She's the first ever black female CEO of an esports organization. Since taking the helm at Evil Geniuses in 2019, she's been hard at work on revitalizing the organization. So I'm not going to lie to y'all. I don't know a lot about esports. I don't know exactly what it is, um, but I do know so many of the negative stereotypes of that space. I think more often than not, we're shown images of really vitrolic, really like people in their basement kind of imagery. And I'm really excited to sit down with Nicole today to demystify and pull the curtain back on the world of esports because I know that it's a viable space. I know that it is a space that, so many people are investing in right now. I think that the thing that is really exciting as opposed to maybe if she were herself just a gamer, like she has so much power to see these changes enacted. And I can't wait to hear what her vision is for the future of this space. So if she could have your attention, please. Our guest today, Nicole LaPointe Jameson. I'm Nicole LaPointe Jameson, and I am the CEO of Evil Geniuses, which is a North American esports organization. I have to tell you right now, I don't know a lot about esports. That's that is okay. I'm glad you asked rather than guessed. Esports is competitive gaming, and what an organization, how I describe an esports organization for people who have who have no idea what it is, is we're we're similar to a collegiate athletics department. You have one brand, Michigan. And a basketball team, a football team, a hockey team, whatever sports teams under a university, they all have the same brand, but they compete in different leagues and different sports. You don't take one athlete and plug them into other teams, even Mm -hmm. though it's all Michigan. Mm -hmm. So Evil Geniuses has um, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Fortnite, but uh, they're all distinct competitive titles, all distinct competitive players, um, all under one banner. So let's back up a bit and talk a little bit about your segment on your attention, please. I really loved in the video where it was really clear that this has kind of been like 20 years in the making in some ways. Um, You were talking about being six, playing backgammon and the ways in which like you just know how your brain wants to work. Um, In the creative of the film, it was really beautiful also to get to see um, some of the elements of the work that you're doing. And I wonder if you could talk about... um, kind of this phase, because it's relatively new. Like what have, what have you been learning as you stepped into this role? What, what things have surprised you? 
Yeah, I've, I've been in this role for less than a year and it's been, I'm really glad you picked up on that. It's been great for me because it almost is a, uh, a, a nerdy coming out story. <laughs> I um, worked previously in spaces that are very more traditional business. And while these, this was always part of my identity, being able to showcase it publicly and professionally has been new and been exciting because the space of esports as a whole is, is developing. It's really forming, it's flushing out what it wants to be which is why it's so exciting to me coming in, not representing what you think of when you think of gamers and showcasing really what I believe the future of this industry should look like and who it should represent and uphold. Um, and that's everyone. Even though I'm new to Evil Geniuses, it's the organization has existed for tw about 20 years and it had gone through a lot of ownership changes, a lot of bumps. And when I came in, it was at a, a, a relatively low period for the org, um, struggling both in what they want to be, where they want to go and how to get there. And it's been amazing just to see in the past year, all the new expansion we've been able to get into. How has that process been? I think it's always really interesting to watch when someone comes in as a new director or CD, CEO or leadership, um, especially with a relatively like storied organization, like Evil Geniuses has quite a reputation in that space. And it seems like you came in and started kicking down some doors. Uh, what has that process been like for you? <laughs> um, I definitely didn't take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I don't know if I would have changed that, but it's been, it's tough because you hit the nail on the head. An organization that has such history and legacy has people and constituents that have strong feelings about what the org is and how it should be run and how it should present itself. But we had to change what the org had been doing. Didn't work on a lot of different levels, brand, financial, um, reputational. And for us to get not just the table stakes of what other teams are doing or other organizations are doing, we have to, I want to exceed table stakes. And so a lot of that is taking risks and it's a delicate balance of listening, making sure I don't charge in and bulldoze the best elements of that legacy culture or the esports like fan base that really feels strongly for a variety of reasons, but also push in a direction of progress for the org, for the players, for my staff you said it yourself that may, people may not look at you and immediately assume that you're a gamer. Do you feel like throughout your life and throughout like personal life, professional life, um, have you felt like a part of a community of gamers or do you feel now like you're in this moment of coming home to being within a group of people who speak your language? It's super, it's an interesting question because, you know, I've always played, especially like online MMO RPG style games where you usually compete with others remotely for common tasks or common missions. And um, I've never hid my identity in the terms of like, this is a woman, but um, when you have the anonymity of the internet behind you, you, it brings pros and it also brings cons. And, but I've found an easy way to navigate with people that I've accumulated through these settings through the years of like remote gaming friends um, this is the first time me publicly, physically in person has been like, I'm a big gamer, um, because I'll be candid. It's scary, right? Well, you have this perception of who is a gamer and who represents esports, And it's especially in North America. It's you think of the alt-right male grumpy in a basement, but that's so far from the case. And what I have found very quickly, which has been a blessing, the more I come out and represent myself and represent, hi, here, I'm a gamer too. I have found people like myself, other women, other people from different communities that aren't necessarily straight, white, male, say, me too, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we've met. And really showcasing that 
as you would probably suspect based on who buys video games and the stats of who plays video games, gamers are, are everyone. It's just they hadn't had people representing their voice or physically being present, representing them before. On that note, what makes, I guess, inside and outside, what makes a good esports fan? Yeah, so a good fan loves not just the competition, but also the stories behind it. Like one thing that is so enticing to me about esports that people don't talk about because it might be unsexy, but it's it's a new opportunity of social mobility that existed for people across the world that didn't we didn't have before. You know, a common examples, you know, you see certain ethnicities or class groups in America represented in traditional sports in certain areas because it was an accessible sport to them. Mm. Or it was mm. um, offered through the school system or something that just they had access. Because gaming is relatively accessible, um, being able to showcase people that excel from all different walks of life are is important. And if you look at even the EG roster, we up, we uphold this. We have one of the first transgender players in our fighting games roster. We have people that were poor potato farmers in Eastern Europe, and we had people that grew up in the streets of New York. And this is an area where it's an equalizer and as well as uh, a catalyst for upward mobility. Um, and so that's something that's really exciting for me. And fans that can connect with those stories and love not just the competitive excellence and the merit of work, but also see the humanizing and good breadth of different people that can excel in the space is something that um, I think should be showcased more and more. As a leader in the space, how do you bring in those notes of care for the people that are on your teams? Mm, yeah, a lot of... Uh, what EG does and many other teams do as well is really focusing around the holistic wellness of a player. I even just in the year I've been here, I entered at a time where everyone was discussing um, player carpal tunnel and player churn due to early retirement due to carpal tunnel back problems or things like that. And I remember it being shocking to me because these are, you know, I entered the org and people like, Oh yeah, they're older, you know, they're 23. And for me, I'm like, what is there really a, a, that low of a carrying capacity in terms of who can still compete at the high level, especially when you get older players, you love them because they know the culture, they know how to communicate better. They've been more seasoned and finding ways to not just focus from a business perspective, but a quality of life of our player perspective, adding in more of those things you'd find to support end to end the life cycle of a pro um, has been important. And so we've been looking a lot into not just um, wellness physically, but wellness mentally, and then even wellness around like financial stability and good um, personal life choices that help structure post, post EG, what does your career look like? Um, and that's not very common in the space. Uh, functionally, it requires money, which a lot of esports organizations have a harder time raising or um, aren't as well structured or strategic in this area. And it also re requires fo like focus and understanding of not just thinking of the short-term reward, but the long-term play here. And that's that's all what I'm about. What's the long-term of this space and this org look like? I love. Um, do you have a lot of room for play in your own life or what's what's your demand? Do you still find, the, because it's, of course, right? Like when you do the thing professionally that other people might not do professionally or do as like a lay activity, do you still feel joy or do you, how do you carve that space out? That's a great question. It's hard. I came in really excited because a good perk of this position is you're well connected to developers, well connected to um, 
console manufacturers. So you get a lot of stuff. You get a lot of access to games mm -hmm. and consoles and platforms where I'm like, amazing. And then you take in a 105 hour work week and it, that I need to eat and sleep sometimes. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> there was not as many video games as I was promised in this job. Um, but it's actually been really interesting that you bring this up just recently. One of the things I've been doing in downtime with staff and with players to better connect is actually playing with them. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, I'm the boss and I suck the most at the games, which they all enjoy. But um, <laughs> trying to carve out more of why I'm here has been in, in like remembering really what got me to love the space in the first place is important. And um, as goofy it is, I'm looking at right now the next quarter of PTO for the staff. And you, if you look at the staff calendar, you can see big game releases being tied with when people are taking time off. And that's just, I love it because that's the culture that we all want to uphold and get excited about. So I love that. Trying to, trying to keep, keep to my roots. Yes. <laughs> I love the correlation between those calendars where you're like, oh I gosh. know what you guys are up to. I see mm -hmm. you doing your thing and I love to see it. Like, why are we missing all of our marketing staff when, <laughs> when Animal Crossing comes out? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's really sweet. I think one of the things, um, there's so many misconceptions, especially, and you were, you were hinting at this a little bit earlier, but um, about the vitriol that happens in MMORPGs. Mm -hmm. Yeah? No? Yes. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, where, you know, there's these images from the media that are put out where it's, you know, people saying really terrible and awful things. Um, I wonder if you could talk about maybe some, some, because you, you speak so optimistically about the future of gaming in a way that I find to be really refreshing and unexpected, unfortunately, because of the media that I've been fed about those spaces. And I wonder if you could talk about, um, one, some of the surprises that you've had as you've gone deeper into the world, um, maybe how you as a, as a leader in the space have been enforcing these kinds of cultural shifts. Um, or if you, if you have other examples that you've observed that you're like, I wish more people knew about this. Yes. Yeah. So my, I think my hot take on this stance is really when, you know, everyone sees it pros to, um, or uh, players in gaming, especially in North America, skew young, skew male, and that's important because especially I think more than the gender is the age component where kids and young adults say dumb things due to ignorance, due to actual misinformation, actual hate. But there's a lot of reasons behind it. And why I'm generally optimistic is because when you go at the pro level and you see players from all over the world having to work together, like a good example, our League of Legends team has uh, someone from Italy, someone from Denmark, an American, someone from China, someone from Korea, and they all work together. And those are very different cultures. They're very different um, belief systems, value systems, and it works. And I, I observed, especially when coming in and traveling with my pros to different, many different countries, especially because esports is very popular overseas. A lot of our tournaments involve um, very high travel to foreign countries. It's openness through exposure. Like you can't have a very set black and white view on the world of this is how things are. This is how these people are. And then travel and see different stratifications of life, different income levels, different belief systems, different infrastructures. It forces you to let go of felt falsely held beliefs or categorizations of types of people. And it forces organically diversity and inclusion because you know, our players will travel to Shanghai and it, the food is different. The language is different and you have to integrate because that's where you need to be and where you need to compete. Um, and I find that uplifting because it really showcases at the org level, the more we foster optics of 
that break prior beliefs of this is how or why certain people should look or behave or et cetera. Um, it tends to work out well without having to force initiatives or really take a hard or harsh stance on here's where your beliefs are wrong. Um, so I think especially since gaming is so universal, the more people realize or people like them get comfortable showcasing their differences, showcasing their diversity, it should come more naturally that this is accepted. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's just, these are people, people we like to play and kick their butt <laughs> in games with. Right. It's like, I respect you, but I also am going to crush you. Exactly. <laughs> the most unifying <laughs> effort of all. So have your own views or beliefs shifted in any way as you've become a more active participant in the gaming world? Oh yeah, without a doubt. When the more I traveled, so I have been relatively okay traveled within the U.S. before working this job, um, which I think skews the world in a, or the perception of the world in a certain ways. You know, everyone is acutely aware of black-white relations in the U.S., Mexican immigration issues. But when you are forced to travel internationally where they're like, you're American and they don't look at you the same way they might in your own country. It really opens your mind a lot to, well, how do you self-identify? How do you identify in relation to others? And then what is normal? And one thing that it's caught me, what I'm very grateful for is it, it's forced me to be a bit more, I want to say benefit of the, give more benefit of the doubt to situations that people just don't know, but when they're shown something that breaks preconceived notions have been generally accepting or generally open to. Um, so really just showcasing warmth and showcasing acceptance and then receiving in return has been really interesting, especially with the international travel and the gaming space. In my observation of the EG team, it seems like humor is such an essential part of like the brand. Mm. Um, and I wonder for you, like, what it's been like to embody the culture. Like there, there's this incredible, anyone listening, there's an incredible video of Nicole, like sat in the throne, which I love. I'm like this black queen. Um, and you're talking about EG and what's coming next. Um, and it's almost like you're playing a character. And I, I love that kind of like play. And I wonder for you what it's been like to, maybe this is the Nicole that's always been, and I don't know, <laughs> um, but what it's been to embody this kind of role. I actually love it because we, when we leaned into the brand identity, we leaned into evil geniuses and like mm -hmm. what that evokes in terms of boldness, in terms of, you know, scheming and trying to plan 10 steps ahead. But also what's fun about it is I, I much as I'd like to say, oh yeah, we're like the anti-hero, like Batman, someone cool. We're more of maybe like Gru from Despicable Me, like the little like goofy <laughs> bad guy. And that's fun because the fans can rally behind that. The players can rally behind it. It allows you to punch up when you're doing well, punch down when you're not, and just really navigate that the brand space. Um, for me personally, <laughs> it's been ridiculous coming into EG first time on camera ever. I never did acting or public speaking or things like that before. And um to really take on this role, to play the, the queen of evil, I think is what they categorize me as, um, is both fun as well as really lets me let loose and be a bit more bold, a bit more punchy, which are characteristics, luckily, maybe, that um, I actually uphold myself. So the, the running joke at the office is, oh, Nicole's not, Nicole's just being Nicole. We're just labeling her as a character. On that note of characters, are there any characters, players, roles in games that are personally very inspiring to you? Yeah. So um, there's in MOBA games, like the titles that we have, League of Legends and Dota, there's usually a position that plays more of a support role. 
And I've always found, I don't know if it's our players, but I found a trend that we've had a couple of support players across our titles that um, take on a function like the name suggests, more supportive of another character. And those more altruistic players, I've found ironically to be really strong shot callers or people that have a good sense of the overall landscape of the space, but aren't the forefront of attention or the forefront of kills per se. Mm. And I've found it interesting that that role, even across title or across players, they all have that same characteristic, which I find is really crucial because you would never say, oh, your support is a leader. But for me, I'm looking at how my players interact um, and seeing this one role consistently be like that that linchpin, but never trying to lean into the limelight has been inspiring because I think it upholds a lot of great characters of how do you get a group of diverse people with diverse initiatives and run them together and make sure they all meld is really that key functional piece. And the fact that that's carried across titles, across games, across all different people, but that has had showcased the same qualities has been interesting to me. It's made me think a lot about um, my leadership style and the best ways to navigate with different groups of people. Love. Absolutely love. I've been thinking so much this past year about power and how to be more powerful and take up more space and all these things. And I think oftentimes there's such a misrepresentation around power where it's like the loudest, the biggest, Mm -hmm. the boldest. And in so many ways, the most powerful thing you can do is be soft, be quiet, be an active participant, hold space, um, because the ship doesn't move without those types of um, pieces. What advice would you give to someone who wants to get more involved? Yeah, so um, in esports on the staff side, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now because the space is generally young. It's leaving that, I would say, grassroots phase to more of the R&D early stage startup scene. Um, And what people commonly trying to be polite here, commonly forget is like, oh, I am passionate for gaming. Therefore, I want to work in esports. But um, that's not, passion is awesome. It's needed for you to not like be miserable in your day-to-day job. But what I'm looking for, like when I'm trying to hire a CFO, I'm trying to hire a head of marketing, or I'm trying to hire really functional roles, the best, like that technical work experience in finance, in math, in marketing, in data, um, bringing those to the table with that passion of gaming, that's what I envision there needs to be more of, more people coming in who now know, oh, this is a safe and great outlet for me to showcase the best of my skills from other spaces beyond just esports. Because if you just hired people that are just in esports or have only been in esports, your talent pool is limited. And that's not how any industry has ever thrived, just mm-hmm. staying insular um, and finding the best of in and out of the space has been something like I've been really trying to push, especially with my management team, comes 50-50 from pure esports and then from other spaces like traditional sports or even big engineering companies. Um, and so the more it gets, the more education, I guess, that occurs, people realize this is an outlet that you don't need to have been playing video games for. There's a lot of paths that are not pro or not influencer. Um, I think that would be great for people to continue to realize. Yeah, you always need so many more voices in the room. Yes. And I think oftentimes too, like my background is in the arts and there, I think more often than not, um, young people are dissuaded from participating in the arts. When the the truth of the matter is that you can be an engineer in the arts, you can be a lawyer in the arts. There's so many ways to come from all these different angles into this sphere and the discipline needs it. It needs to be fed with all these different ideas. Exactly. What would you say is your biggest hope for the future of gaming and esports? 
I hope it overcomes traditional sports. <laughs> that, was, that was an aggressive answer. Huh? Love it. Love to hear it. I just think <laughs> this is a really great opportunity to, con- like, everyone thinks, oh, gaming, you become stunted and this. No, gaming teaches you to be really smart, quick decision makers, effective communicators. You have to make risk reward assessments so quickly when playing almost any game at the competitive level. And you have to take care of yourself holistically to be the best player. And those are really good traits that I wish were showcased and valued as much as traditional sport, especially collegiate athletes going to pro. And the more people love and understand that, the better pipeline that's sustainable for the industry and for the, the athletes um, will will come. So that's where I hope it goes. You've converted me. Yes, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> So this is the part of the episode where we have a few questions from our Hulu subscribers who have watched your segment on Your Attention Please, now streaming on Hulu, and uh, come up with their own questions. I'm really nervous. Should I be this nervous? No, (laughs) do not be nervous at all. It's just questions from people who are like, we like you. We want to know what you think. Solid. Um, So our first question is from Tony from Toronto. Hi, Tony. How do you use or plan on using your differences to make an impact on esports and esports leadership? Love it. Thanks, Tony. Um, I think there's a, a bifold answer here. First is very functional into my organization. When I walked into EG, it was 12 men working with a bunch of players under them in a tiny little room and, uh, a suburban industrial facility in Washington. And now we are 70 strong men, women, LGBTQ plus family, people who have kids. Like we just a big diverse group of really strong high performers across two facilities in Seattle and LA with even more players beneath us and more titles. And that isn't done just by throwing money at something that is done by setting a vision that people can align and feel comfortable with to not just work for, but also perpetuate. Um, and that vision is really what I, what I tell all my staff is the goal for me is to hear people say, I want to work or compete at evil geniuses. And the nuance there is it's not esports, it's not gaming. It's they want to work at this organization because it has the reputation and the prestige and the infrastructure to support all different types of people and to be excellent. And so then functionally that is tied into me rolling out. I know I talked earlier about like an HR department, a finance department, learning and organizational development initiatives. These are things that maybe sound commonplace in some industries, but are very new to esports. And it's a little bit of tying back into our brand identity, you know, living evil, as we say, is being comfortable being questioned for what we do and why we do it, but we show through results. And this is really showing that bringing select parts of what a lot of gamers will call corporate culture or best practices to make a space and workplace environment successful, bring that in-house, doing things ethically, doing things um, well-documented and scalable. That's what's going to help EG be another top-tier team for another 20 years, and hopefully we'll set the stage for the rest of the space where, oh, well, EG offers me XYZ or EG supports XYZ. That's where people are going to want to flock to, not just as employees or players, but as fans. Our next question is from Dylan uh, from California. Which esport is your favorite one? <laughs> um, so I love Rocket League as a title for as a player. 
Um, if I'm to pick amongst all of my, my children, as I guess I should say, um, Counter-Strike is pretty cool only because it's completely boggles my mind. It's very difficult. It's a first person shooter that things are very fast paced. And what's interesting about Counter-Strike is it's survived many, many years. And what was exciting for me, we, we re-entered Counter-Strike not too long ago as a title, which was one of Evil Genius's first ever games they played over 12 years ago. So to bring that back and bring back such a strong team of really goofy guys, the Counter-Strike culture is pretty cool. It's a bit more street. It's a bit more fun. Um, it's, been, it's been a cool uh, group to be with. And our last question uh, will be from Linda in Texas. How do you deal with stress? I call it the iron church and that is the gym. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's an, it's a hard trap for like professionals in any work environment, you know, okay, stressful. Let's go grab drinks. Let's get a happy hour. Let's go grab dinner. Um, That's fun. I found that's not conducive to my best mental health state, my best physical health state. So I have carved out physical activity as well as social time to really make sure I'm always bringing my A game to the table because Stress is hard. One issue I, as a new sports team owner, um, one thing I, I struggle with still is when the team loses, I internalize all of those losses, which is bad because we have a lot of teams that do great and don't do great at times. And um, making sure, you know, I carve out time to, to separate from the work identity as work is me and I am work to but our small successes and failures, just trying to buffer those a bit more emotionally have been, been difficult. Yeah. So much, so much feeling. <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> and it's terrible. One of our titles we compete in, it's, it's live and I'll go to the matches and I'm in the front and I know I'm on broadcast because yeah. they have the cameras and I have no fo- poker face whatsoever. Like I, our players will make a mistake. I know they made a mistake. My face is showing they made a mistake. And then I know on broadcast, they're saying, Nicole's pissed as shit. <laughs> what is her team doing? I can't. So I need to counterbalance that a bit better. What is it like seeing yourself on those broadcasts? Well, it's, it's funny because people will say, oh, you, you're so good. You must love it. Ter- uh, it's not my intrinsic comfort zone space. <laughs> Because again, no poker face. Like I'm over here like dropping F-bombs and like getting mad at my poor GM who sits yeah. next to me where I'm like, why are they doing this? <laughs> so um, it's been a learning experience, learning curve for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine. You're like flipping tables. Oh, it's you're so also bad. Like, do, are there technical <laughs> fouls in esports? There are. Um, I luckily have not committed any, but you know, their players aren't supposed to use like obscene gestures or say certain things. Um we, by being a bold team, we have gotten into more than one a little snafus here in the past, but uh, it's okay. It's no been blood, fun. No foul. <laughs> <laughs> Fab. I'm going to stop asking you all these questions. I would just love for you for the next couple of minutes to talk about anything on your mind, anything coming up. The stage is yours. So... Uh, if I'm being super candid of like, what is actually on my mind this morning? I ha- so I have a cat, which um, <laughs> is, is another, I guess, counterbalance to the stress of my life is okay. I have to go home and feed and take care of something that depends on me, which is actually really great. Um, but what's been interesting with this job and my cat is the amount of travel 
um, has been hard because what I've essentially, the running joke is I have a very nice apartment in Seattle that my cat lives in because I am never here. And I have to actually hire people to feed him and take care of him and clean the apartment because it's just a cat and they're making messes. Um, and so I've had this whole infrastructure around something that I'm sure many people will go, that is a, a lot of brain power and dollars for an animal. Um, but it's been interesting to me because I've been thinking more and more about this as esports requires just where our fan base is, um, understanding Gen Z and like the younger generation, what are they interested in? What do they value? And this growing trend, especially in America of um, millennials and the younger generations are having less kids and having more pets. And I found that just fascinating because it showcases a lot of values or uh, reactive responses to trends or observations of previous generations and treatment of the childhood upbringing and current state of quality of life. And well, it sounds really goofy that I'm spending so much time thinking about the value of a cat <laughs> in the world. Um, it's been a surprisingly good shower thought catalyst for how to connect with young, because now I'm even getting old for the esports fan and the esports um, consumers. So, like, what values to them? What resonates with them? Um, and how do I how do I continue to authentically touch base with my, my fans and constituents? There um, has been interesting. So, I really want a cat so badly. I I love my cat. He is high maintenance. We have found out that. Um, he has separation anxiety, which is a problem when you are a traveling single woman <laughs> and you have to have a cat that doesn't want to be apart from you. Aww. I know. But You're he's, just too loved. The I cat just too wants loved. you around. <laughs> oh. I am definitely going to start gaming. I don't even know how to start, so I'm going to have to call Nicole again <laughs> and get just like a quick tutorial about what console I need. I don't even know if you need consoles, but I want one, you know? Um, I haven't I haven't gamed since uh, probably 1997. Uh, I had a Game Boy, um, but I'm, I'm ready. Oh no, and then I had Nintendo GameCube. Um, but since then, it's been a minute, but I'm ready to get back on the wagon. After speaking with Nicole today, I have such a broader perspective on gaming than I ever thought I would have because it's not just about the games. I think one of the anxieties I had going into today's dialogue was that I genuinely don't know anything about any of these games. Like I see so many creatives who are pushing back on like a Fortnite because dances are being stolen, but that's my only kind of cultural touch point to what's going on in that space. But after learning from and speaking with Nicole today, I just understand it more as a business. Nicole is coming from a world that I think is largely misunderstood. And the generosity through which she spoke about esports, what she sees, what she hopes to see, um, really made me more, much more invested in that world. I was pleasantly surprised to hear about the incredible amount of diversity, the incredible amount of opportunities for learning about different cultures that are built through just the virtue and infrastructure of esports as a platform. Uh, I walked away from today's conversation with an optimism that I didn't know I had capacity for. And I hope for those of you who are listening as well, it challenges us all to complicate the images that we have in our head of gamers and people who are participating in this world because it's just so much bigger. There can be 
so many more images that scroll through our minds when we're thinking about people who who do things that we maybe, just maybe, have made one too many assumptions about. But by the end of today's dialogue, I just felt like I learned so much. Like my entire, when I close my eyes and think about esports, there's so much more of a brilliant canvas that kind of comes to the light. I'm really excited for Nicole and to see where she's going next. Watching her step into like, you know, the queen of evil, Nicole. I'm just like, this girl's anything she wants. Um, I want to, I want a front row ticket. So that's all we have for today for you folks. Um, but we'll be back next week with an all new episode, new guest, more conversations. And until then, I will leave you with this. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world and scream from the mountaintop. Your attention, please. <laughs>